<clears throat> Welcome to my random monologue here about the world. Um, I'm creating a website specifically to help me express revolutionary uh, thoughts, observations, ones where I can be sort of free from uh, corporate censorship, I suppose, a little bit more. You know, I always get banned for my posts, my comments. I'd rather just summarize everything into one private link. And then, or not even private, but you know what I mean. I'll distribute it as a status itself. And, um, you know, distribute content that way or through the podcast, which I can then post on the website as well. Um... There's a lot of stuff going on in the world, and whether it's um, international conflict with the United States in, uh, you know, arming Nazis in Ukraine, or pushing extreme buttons to try to provoke war with China, or overthrowing countries in Latin America, or in West Asia... A, a lot is going on, and a lot is at stake, and not enough people understand what's going on, so I will be utilizing the podcast and uh, my website um, to make clear everything that is going on, because so many people think they are doing good, or they're doing the, you know what is best for the most people, and it's quite, quite fucking sickening at this point. So thank you for coming along. Welcome aboard. As a reminder about me, I spent roughly two years in prison. A little bit more than that if you count House of Correction time and county jail time. I literally met family members I didn't know I had who were indigenous, native, while I was in prison, and that dramatically altered my perception of myself, and ever since then, I've been trying to get more involved with Native resistance, and because of that, I'm now involved with a pan-Indigenous government. Shout out to the Ilahi Spirit Runners. Ilahi Spirit Runners. They've actually really uh, got a great line and a great reading selection, a great political education program, um, f- you know, farming and agriculture. And they're always looking for more help, too, because we we strive to remain uh, the most active indigenous organization uh, on the continent. Um, aside from that... I met my first communist in prison, and this person got me to, you know, be a little bit more class conscious and learn what certain terms were. They were the first person that ever said the word proletarian to me, and I will never forget that. Um, Another thing, you know, they connected me with people in the Communist Party, USA, in Wisconsin, 
uh, when I got out. And I was not quite sold on any anything yet. I didn't really have, like, a good sound working class type of, you know, class consciousness education or anything. But I had these, like, selfish... Um, you know, ideals of what I wanted to exist in the world. I thought, like, libertarian socialism. And I was like, well, screw it. You know, we got a government. We might as well just be socialists. So I, I, you know, supported Bernie like I did in 2016, but I was way more ardent and way more involved. And I went door to door and I went, protested at, you know, the inauguration. I protested at the DNC. I went to different states for Bernie. And, you know, after all of that, I reached a point where I was like, okay, I'll, I'll just be a regular socialist. This was actually towards the tail end of Bernie. So I got involved with a trot organization, and I didn't know any better. And um, this was, like, in between, like, me getting out of prison and me getting more involved with the Communist Party. Um, so I joined a Socialist Alternative. I didn't like it at all. <clears throat> I feel like they lied to people and sold them pipe dreams uh, instead of real policy. And one example for me was when I was organizing with them, they were just telling me, like, yeah, we're just going to raise taxes. Like, tell them we're just going to tax the rich to pay for this. And I'm like, that, but that's not even, like, Bernie's plan. So you're literally distorting his plan for your own... Like, it's, it wasn't even, like, a revolutionary thing. Like, tech, like high taxation isn't even... Sp- necessarily socialist it's just a tamer capitalism and i'm not even sure that they were i'm not even sure what the hell the point was you know just to go out there and sell papers and get more people involved with this party that isn't even running people like that only like in select few places and no disrespect to kashama sawan or shama sawan um you know it's just it it felt like a giant op. It felt like something to easily get sidetracked uh, from real revolutionary causes pulled into. And it's not to hate on the people that are involved in these things because most of the time I realize people don't know any better when they get pulled into these things. Um, but yeah, um, I got involved with Communist Party after all of that. And ever since then, I've been just kind of growing and learning. And I I just dropped these fears, these selfish fears that I had of, like, authoritarianism. I learned to contextualize what authority is and when it's used and where and why. You know, if it's meant to literally protect the capitalist interest, it's not really justifiable. If it's meant to protect a socialist revolution from reactionary causes like, uh, you know, People like in Cuba, for example, the CIA um, put people in like a music festival that was unsanctioned and then there was anti-government music. Well, of course, the government should be able to shut that down. You know, that type of authority is justified because it's it, it is undermining the actual liberation of all of the people in Cuba. Same thing with any other country where there is unrest that is... Um, you know, like the unrest is sort of manufactured by the West, and how do you say, uh, just beating war drums. I I, I think that 
if if the unrest is literally undermining so many people's uh, freedom, liberation, you know, their revolution, I, I believe it's justifiable within, you know, a lot of contexts to protect the revolution. Uh, so I, I mean, those are just little ways that I, I, I consider that growth because I, instead of just being a reactionary and who, who was idealist and had like, uh, you know, this false sense of human rights concern for this false sense of concern for human rights, um, that actually protects imperialism and the war machine of the West. Like I'm able to take that off. I'm able to read between the lines. I'm able to see when capitalist interests are planning something or angling to be just anti-communist and, you know, trick us into hating the ideology that will liberate us. And another thing that made me stop being a libertarian socialist was realizing that all the people that I thought I would be protecting by being more libertarian were actually communists. They were full-blown communists. So I, I just kind of was like, okay, if it's good enough for them, why the hell am I being such a, you know, such a baby about it? Um, on top of all of that, the international community is not moving towards a libertarian socialist paradise or something, you know? We're moving towards a, uh, a multipolar world. A, a multipolar world with an anti-imperialist bloc. And that frightens the billionaires in our country more than anything. And I'll explain more about what that means uh, later, but it's important to recognize this fact that you, as a person living in the United States or, you know, some other well-developed nation, you do not get the choice of what the revolution will look like or end like because, well, it's not even the, the revolution itself. You're going to have a place, but what we are moving towards, no. Because the international community is what needs to be liberated uh, more than anything from Western hands. And this is where we're going. So, <sighs> it, it's tough to say that we're, we are okay with taking a general loss in quality of life, but that doesn't necessarily have to be so. Um... I do want to say another thing. When it comes to the international community, it's important to listen to what they are saying because they're the ones suffering under the um, relentless attacks and monetary, you know, money control of global capitalism by the West, by the International Monetary Fund. Which basically controls debt and lease, or you know, uh, loans to nations that are developing, or whatever the case. But all over the world, and it bankrupts bankrupts them. And we have to listen to these people. We have to undermine capitalism. We we can't settle for social democracy because it is still capitalist, and because it still helps imperialism 
and it relies upon imperialism for survival. Um, I'm going to get on to the next part. The next subject that you're going to hear me talk about, I just hinted at, was multipolarity. Multipolarity, <coughs> pardon me, is a word that, um, it frightened me. I thought it was a word that we needed to change, that we needed to find an alternative to. But in reality, I was misled by my own ignorance. And it's important that we share this uh, topic or this information about this topic right here. Multipolarity, meaning multiple uh, poles, right, of power in this world, not just one giant um, hegemon. Um, and that word means like control. You know, domination. There needs to be multiple uh, spheres of, you know, influence and international sol solidarity, and that's the um, that's why I stress the importance of an anti-imperialist bloc. But I'll cover that, um, you know, later. Um, one of the the key things that frightened me about multipolarity was I thought word was rooted in uh, more of a uh, fascist um, origin, but it it is not. And furthermore, the people of Latin America, uh, you know, the lower chunk of Turtle Island. Um, and the peoples of Africa, the peoples throughout Asia, have also pushed for the concept of multipolarity. And you have to understand in a historical perspective, like, the amount of control that the United States has had on the rest of the world since World War, I would really say World War Two, but... I mean, look at World War One. It was a multipolar world afterward, and a lot of parties that were in existence or in existence at the time chose to go with the colonial direction, and that's why you see so many countries in Africa, and you know, even more at that time. Uh, <clears throat> like India, for example, just being massively colonized, ruled by people from other places in the world. And these things still have impacts today. A lot of these countries, these nations, to get their sovereignty had to go massively into debt. And that's why you have countries that are otherwise, you know probably ripe with resources and labor being severely indebted and <clears throat> on a personal level just living in poverty and you know gang life 
and you see a lot of people flee from countries uh, because of these conditions that, like, our government created through the International Monetary Fund or through overthrowing their governments in general, which is something we like to do. Not we, but because I don't consider myself a part of the shit. You know, I live here, and I really want to disconnect myself from all the colonizer bullshit that is electoral politics. I find that participating that in that is condoning white supremacy, and it doesn't matter if there's a, you know, an uh, African descendant or a European descendant. The powers that be, like. No matter what direction they say they go, it always ends up aiding and really just the fact that you're recognizing this settler force um, gives it legitimacy. So I'm, I'm just done with that. Um, but anyway, like the, the reason why I brought all of this up, multipolarity. The difference between back then when it was a multipolar world, there was no anti-imperialist bloc. There was no, um, you know, like so, like truly socialist uh, revolution at the time until, the, you know, the Soviet Union came along. <clears throat> and that's where I think... People really should read Lenin because I think he speaks plainly about what to do when your government is in a war over its capitalist, you know, uh, interests. And that's all that this ever is. The United States, to the best of my knowledge, has not actually participated in one actual humanitarian war in my lifetime. Uh, to say the least, <laughs> um, it's really sickening that there are people that are just forgotten about or never even acknowledged, just millions possibly dead, and nobody over here bats an eye because, well, they got to worry about their own day-to-day uh, -day life and how they're going to survive because that's how clamped down this occupational force is. Everybody's enslaved to it. Um, and really, I think the world is waiting on us or, you know, trying to organize itself to undermine our government, which is fine. I, I mean, but I, I think there... I think the world is kind of hoping for us to get our act together. Um, or for our government to just fail and for us to build around the remnants and, you know, make sure that we are truly international or that we're fighting for, you know, uh, indigenous rights back and, you know, appropriate, um, appropriate courses of action. Um, but in terms of multipolarity, I thought... That this stemmed a lot from, like, like Alexander Dugan. And, you know, I came to find out that when he visited China, 
and pitched his view of the world, they, quite frankly, didn't take it too well. They laughed at it. You know, they aren't... You have to keep in mind, his specific goal is to unite the working class with fascists. And that's why certain anti-imperialists are better than others when it comes to their perspective and for me in particular i i subscribe highly <clears throat> to um ben norton and multipolarista um i believe that this person has a clear-headed view on almost every subject that i've seen them speak on and it's very insightful and i wish i had half the ability to source my information as well as they do. Um, but in terms of multipolarity, they are a reason why I am not afraid of the word, and they help inform me about people around the world that actually want the concept of multipolarity to be a thing and not to go in a fascist angle. It's something that is just necessarily required to really undermine the war machine and undermine uh, global capitalism and, um, you know, get to a better world regardless. So uh, also he recognizes that there is importance to decolonization and the concepts of patriotism, like I've discussed in a previous episode, very short and to the point, like a five-minute episode, listen to it, about patriotism and patriotic socialists. That when you are in the imperial core and you are patriotic for the symbols and, the, and some of the most reactionary parts of the culture and you parade that as the being for the people and then tell people that they aren't dialectical because they find your appeals to the worst instincts uh, and reactions caused by capitalism in the first place and colonialism in the first place. Your direct appeals to that, we're calling that out. Like, that doesn't make us anti-dialectical. That doesn't make us, if anything, that it's a projection. I, I just want to say that I'm glad he makes those points. Um, not quite to the extent that I just did. But they, like, I, I just, I can't understand why they call themselves, like, materialists or communists or anything when... Some of them, like Caleb Maupin, for example, um, like met with Dugan, who was like inspired by, you know, Nazi mythology and, um, you know, certain aspects of like counterculture and definitely anti-communism. And literally like created the Nazbol party in Russia which was banned like 
this person, Caleb Maupin, met with Dugan, and I don't know, like, just, it, 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 it seems like a lot of these people fit into this narrative, autom- like, pretty automatically, of uh, where they try to appeal to conservatives rather than, like, minorities or oppressed people or the indigenous, you know, they will enforce already existing thoughts within U.S. cultural uh, hegemony. And again, that word means control. It's like everything is reinforcing itself, these thoughts that what we perceive as normal are like, you know, just what the powers that be want us to feel are normal, like the concept of man and woman or whatever, like when we know that it's not that simple. And even sex itself is a spectrum. It's not even, like, genetics is a spectrum. So, you know, it's just, it's inherent. I'm sorry, like, if you're hearing this and this is your first time realizing that there is no, like, actual thing as, like, a perfect man in terms of, like, what chromosomes are or whatever. Like, there's plenty of intersex people who just don't even know it. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> getting off topic. People like Caleb Maupin and... Uh, let's see, Hinkle... Um, I I don't even know what dude's name is. I've never watched the show. Like, Infra has, Haas, whatever, Infrared. Anyway, I, 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 I don't fuck with any of these people. They want to push already existing, like, I, ideas and oppressive thoughts that need to be fought. So that's what I do. They don't like me. That's okay. Um, that's about the only thing that I worry about in terms of where multipolarity could be steered in a bad direction. Because these people, they claim to be internationalists and they use the word multipolar, but they don't mean it in the same way that communists and socialists do around the world. I promise you that. The next subject that you're going to hear me talk about I just hinted at was multipolarity. Multipolarity. (coughs) Pardon me. Is a word that, um, it frightened me. I thought it was a word that we needed to change, that we needed to find an alternative to. But in reality, I was misled by my own ignorance. And it's important that we share this. Uh, topic or this information about this topic right here multipolarity meaning multiple uh, 
poles, right, of power in this world, not just one giant um, hegemon. Um, and that word means like control, you know, domination. There needs to be multiple uh, spheres of, you know, influence and international solidarity. And that's that's why I stress the importance of an anti-imperialist bloc. But I'll cover that, um, you know, later. Um, One of the the key things that frightened me about multipolarity was I thought word was rooted in uh, more of a uh, fascist um, origin, but it, it is not. And furthermore, the people of Latin America, uh, you know, the lower chunk of Turtle Island, um, <clears throat> and the peoples of Africa, the peoples throughout Asia have also pushed for the concept of multipolarity. And you have to understand in a historical perspective, like the amount of control that the United States has had on the rest of the world since World War, I would really say World War II, but I mean... Look at World War One. It was a multipolar world afterward. And a lot of parties that were in existence or in existence at the time chose to go with the colonial direction. And that's why you see so many countries in Africa and you know, even more at that time, uh <clears throat> like India for example, just being massively colonized, ruled by people from other places in the world. And these things still have impacts today. A lot of these countries, these nations, to get their sovereignty had to go massively into debt. And that's why you have countries that are otherwise, you know, probably ripe with resources and labor being severely indebted and on a personal level just living in poverty and you know gang life Uh, and you see a lot of people flee from countries uh, because of these conditions that like our government created through the International Monetary Fund or through overthrowing their governments in general which is something we like to do not we, but because I don't consider myself a part of the shit. You know, I live here, and I really want to disconnect myself from all the colonizer bullshit that is electoral politics. I find that participating that in that is condoning white supremacy, and it doesn't matter if there's a, you know, an uh, African descendant or a European descendant. The powers that be, like, no matter what direction they say they go, it always ends up 
aiding and really just the fact that you're recognizing this settler force um, gives it legitimacy. So I'm, I'm just done with that. Um, but anyway, like the, the reason why I brought all of this up, multipolarity, the difference between back then when it was a multipolar world, there was no anti-imperialist block. There was no, um, you know, like, so like truly socialist, uh, revolution at the time until, you know, the Soviet Union came along. And that's where I think people really should read Lenin because I think he speaks plainly about what to do when your government is in a war over its capitalist, you know, uh, interests. And that's all that this ever is. The United States, to the best of my knowledge, has not actually participated in one actual humanitarian war in my lifetime, uh, to say the least. (laughs) Um, It's really sickening that there are people that are just forgotten about or never even acknowledged just millions possibly dead and nobody over here bats an eye because well they got to worry about their own uh day-to-day life and how they're going to survive because that's how clamped down this occupational force is everybody's enslaved to it um and really i think the world is waiting on us or you know trying to organize itself to undermine our government which is fine I mean, but I, I think there, I think the world is kind of hoping for us to get our act together, um, or for our government to just fail, and for us to build around the remnants and, you know, make sure that we are truly international, or that we're fighting for, you know, uh, indigenous rights back and, you know, appropriate. Um, Appropriate courses of action. Um, but in terms of multipolarity, I thought that this stemmed a lot from like, like Alexander Dugan, and you know, I came to find out that when he visited China and pitched his view of the world, they quite frankly didn't take it too well. They laughed at it. You know, they aren't, you have to keep in mind, his specific goal is to unite the working class with fascists. And that's why certain anti-imperialists are better than others when it comes to their perspective. And for me, in particular, I, I subscribe highly to um, Ben Norton and Multipolarista. Um, I believe that this person has a clear-headed view on almost every subject that I've seen them speak on. And it's very insightful. And I wish I had half 
the ability to source my information as well as they do. Um, but in terms of multipolarity, they are a reason why I am not afraid of the word, and they help inform me about people around the world that actually want the concept of multipolarity to be a thing, and not to go in a fascist angle. It's something that is just necessarily required to really undermine the war machine and undermine uh, global capitalism and, um, you know, get to a better world regardless. So, uh, also, he recognizes that there is importance to decolonization and the concepts of patriotism, like I've discussed in a previous episode, very short and to the point, like a five-minute episode, listen to it, about patriotism and patriotic socialists. That when you are in the imperial core and you are patriotic for the symbols and the and some of the most reactionary parts of the culture and you parade that as the being for the people and then tell people that they aren't dialectical because they find your appeals to the worst instincts uh, and reactions caused by capitalism in the first place and colonialism in the first place. Your direct appeals to that, we're calling that out. Like, that doesn't make us anti-dialectical. That doesn't make us... If anything, that it's a projection. I, I just want to say that I'm glad he makes those points. Um, not quite to the extent that I just did. But... They... Like, I, I just, I can't understand why they call themselves, like, materialists or communists or anything when some of them, like Caleb Maupin, for example, um, like, met with Dugan, who was, like, inspired by, you know, Nazi mythology and, um, you know, certain aspects of, like, counterculture and definitely anti-communism and literally like created the Nazbol party in Russia which was banned like this person Caleb Maupin met with Dugan and I don't know like just it it it, it seems like a lot of these people fit into this narrative autom- like pretty automatically uh, where they try to appeal to conservatives rather than like minorities or oppressed people or the indigenous you know they will enforce already existing thoughts within US cultural hege- uh, hegemony and again, that word means control. It's like everything is reinforcing itself. These thoughts that what we perceive as normal are like, 
you know, just what the powers that be want us to feel are normal, like the concept of man and woman or whatever, like when we know that it's not that simple. And even sex itself is a spectrum. It's not even like genetics is a spectrum. So, you know, it's just, it's inherent. I'm sorry. Like if you're hearing this and this is your first time realizing that there is no like actual thing as like a perfect man in terms of like what chromosomes are or whatever. Like there's plenty of intersex people who just don't even know it. Anyway, uh, (laughs) getting off topic, people like Caleb Maupin and, uh, let's see, Hinkle, um, I I don't even know what dude's name is, I've never watched the show, like, Infra has, Haas, whatever, Infrared, anyway, I'd, I, 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 can, I don't fuck with any of these people. They want to push already existing, like, I- ideas and oppressive thoughts that need to be fought. So that's what I do. They don't like me. That's okay. Um, that's about the only thing that I worry about in terms of where multipolarity could be steered in a bad direction because these people they claim to be internationalists and they use the word multipolar but they don't mean it in the same way that communists and socialists do around the world I promise you that so-called society and we can take care of each other and in the meantime educate each other with real life experience one thing I really want to emphasize is the importance of getting involved with an indigenous organization because it cannot be revolutionary without indigenous being involved or leading and I specifically want to stand on leading because once you recognize this settler um, you know colonial force this occupying government and military And that's how the rest of the world sees us too, you know, or at least this government and the military itself. Once you see it for what it is, you can actually gain a a better plan of attack, you know, a better understanding of what is at stake, of what has happened, of what this land is and what this land means to the people that were actually from here. Um, and recognizing concepts like, you know, uh, African nationalism here, or, uh, the fact that, like, Chicanos are indigenous, you know, a lot of people, um, that we are told to, told to hate, 
and and a lot of these revolutionary movements are done by indigenous people in Latin America, the lower chunk of Turtle Island. But I think that getting involved in an indigenous organization um, is very important because it will help us uh, prepare for the downfall of society, of the so-called society, and take care of each other. And in the meantime, educate each other with real-life experience and quite literally clear up misconceptions and you don't have to get theory heavy with people you just work together to do what you need to do to make sure that you survive and you know with the with a sense of international solidarity over time built up you can advance people I, I, I do think like that is kind of like a hypothetical you know ideal type of situation um, I'm not saying I have every answer I just disagree with this concept that communists or indigenous people can't communicate effectively to like white people because we just want to call people colonizers or whatever that comes out of people when we are getting completely disrespected and certain people I feel deserve it more than others but uh, with that said, I, I do think that there's a mistake um, being made by people that assume that communists can't talk to regular people about these subjects. You just have to make it understandable in their real life situation. Once you make sense of, hey, who runs the media? Oh, it's a bunch of rich people. Oh, who runs the government? It's literally the same rich people. Who owns the military-industrial complex? Same general situation. You know what I mean. You know, break it down. There's no boogeyman necessary. When it comes to the politicians, it's easy to say, fuck them all. It genuinely is, because nobody's rights will ever be sacred under the system. Um, but it's hard to reach out to certain people that are just stuck in this permanent reform mode, where we can fix this, we have time, or we just gotta occupy within, or whatever. I don't think that's the case. And I don't think it falls upon us as individuals to <clears throat> do what our, you know, do what this government isn't doing per se. Like when it comes to massive climate action, I think that is, it's, it's imperative, but I don't see it happening under this occupational government. I don't see them undermining capitalism Instead, I see them just looking for more ways to make money. Buy the subscription pack, finance this and pay interest. You know, um, pay off this Domino's pizza over a span of two weeks. Like, you know, ridiculous stuff like this going on. Um, <laughs> and meanwhile, like, 
that those are just the ways that we are getting squeezed and inflation on top of that, which is largely just price gouging, but also the Federal Reserve just not doing what they know they can do and control for inflation by, you know, collecting money from the wealthy and corporations and just straight up deleting it from existence and or just seizing their income and their industries. Uh, which are causing all of these problems because they don't have enough workers that want to be exploited. You know, once people realize, oh, the reason why you have to get a new job every time the conditions get bad is because, well, you don't have a union or you don't have this uh, or because we're in capitalism. Like, you just got to make these things make sense to them, you know? And also make clear that a lot of the time what we are told about other countries is a complete projection of United States policies whether it's claims of a country killing its own citizens we have the police we have you know documented history of uh, slavery but also the prison industrial complex we have all kinds of crazy shit. We are literally preyed upon by the capitalists. We have speakers that listen to us, and then we wonder why we get these fucking ads on our phones, you know? Or we think about something, and we were like, wow, what just happened? Like, I just got an ad for this a day later. We are completely a captive audience. We are completely manipulated. We all need to decolonize. And it's even tougher more tough to say this from like a native communist perspective because I'm still decolonizing myself and I hate to quote Carl Sagan but when you're in love you want to tell the world so when you really feel passionate about something you really push ardently for it and very passionately and it comes off as rough jagged imprecise, impolite. Well, you're just going to have to deal with that. Much love.